from our studios around the world, this is Eat Well, Travel Better, the business of food travel podcast. Every month, we bring you the world's culinary tourism industry professionals and share with you strategies, tactics, and information that help make you a more effective leader, communicator, and professional in our culinary tourism industry. I'm your host, Eric Wolf. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode 68 of the Business of Food Travel podcast. Today, we will be speaking with Fred Lise. Fred is a tourism industry professional from France. He has been working in responsible adventure travel for 15 years with professional experiences in Europe, Asia, and Australia. He is passionate about outdoor expeditions, community travel, and disruptive tourism projects. To that end, he created his own competition called the New Explorer Challenge to help train international students on the subject of sustainable adventure tourism. As you probably have guessed, Fred loves to travel and has visited 72 countries already. Here's our conversation with Fred. Fred, thanks for joining us today. I was very excited when a member of my team suggested that we look at your profile and and maybe invite you to appear on the podcast. You are a pretty young guy, but you've accomplished a lot, and you're you're a doer, which I like to see. You get things done. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in in what you do, and also about the Travel Hunter, what that is. Thank you very much, Eric, and thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really glad to you know participate in this interesting podcast. So basically, um, I've been working in the travel industry for about 15 years. So working for different type of companies uh, on different continents and different countries. And then around COVID time, like in 2020, I actually started my self-enterprise, you know, all my consulting activities. So everything I'm doing right now. But I started my career in tourism and travel industry in 2009 after uh, being graduated from an MBA uh, in tourism management in La Rochelle, in in France. I'm obviously French. I've always worked, again, in the travel industry. Not that much on the French market, to be honest. I lived in and and worked in Asia, in Thailand, for a couple of years. I also worked for three Australian companies. So I've always had this, you know, sensitivity and attraction for um, the English-speaking markets, and especially the Australian way of working and, and spirit. So, yeah, 15 years of uh, exploring the world, traveling and um, having different type of jobs in the travel industry for tour operators in Paris and then for local destination management companies, DMCs, especially in Asia, based out of Thailand, but traveling and working in many countries on the Asian continent. And as I said before, I've also worked for three Australian companies. Okay, so Travel Hunter, is that the brand that you give yourself then? Kind of. It's something, yes, I've been using in France for a couple of years, basically to define all my consulting activities. So maybe for the English native speakers, it might sound a little bit weird. Uh, I think it, work, it, it works better in French and on the French market. To be honest, and it's quite funny, this came from a, a nickname that I've been given about four or five years ago. Um, I think it was in 2018. Back in the time, I was working for the Intrepid Group that you might know of. It's the leading adventure group company based out of you know Australia, but it's obviously worldwide. Intrepid Travel. Yeah, and they have some food tours too, don't they? They do. They do. Yes. Uh, I, I think I've experienced some of them 
I do remember one in uh, Istanbul, in Turkey, like a, a, a half-day food, food, food tour. Very interesting with the local guide, of course, with um, the specific Intrepid touch, which I loved. And when I used to work for Intrepid, my line manager was actually from the US. He was from California. And we had worked together for a couple of months. And one day he decided, I think due to my energy and my, you know, business development capabilities, um, he started to call me the, the hunter. And then he talked about that with my uh, Australian and English colleagues, peers, and then everyone in the company was started to call me the, the hunter. So then in 2020, when COVID came and, you know, I obviously changed my activities and I started to, to work as a freelance consultant, being independent. When I started to think of a, a name for my consulting, I, I, I said, yeah, let's use Travel Hunter Consulting. So it's maybe, maybe it's a little bit weird in English, but it works well on the French market. No, it sounds fine in English. I think it's interesting. And, and now that you've given the backstory to explain <laughs> that, that you're the hunter, oh, I like that. That's, that it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. So you lived in Australia as well. How was that experience for you? That was pretty amazing. Well, it's an interesting story because I started to have this, you know, attraction and appetite for Australia, not only as a destination, as I said before, uh, obviously for the country, for the destination, but also when I was finishing my studies in 2009, um, we had, we had been given an interesting exercise. Um, so I was doing my final year of MBA in tourism management. In the school, uh, we were asked to work on a case, like on a three to six month study. And we were supposed to identify, you know, the type of work, the type of industry, maybe the specific job that we were targeting, probably the, the continent, of course. So this is when I started to have this feeling and this interest in the Asia continent in terms of destinations and products, I mean. And then I obviously did um, a couple of research on the French market, but I started to understand and to know that I clearly wanted to have an international background, an international career. And it's a little bit hard to explain, but I made some research on Australia. Basically, I think from France, it was very exotic, the other way, I mean, the opposite side of the world. But at the same time, I was very, very keen to practice and improve my English level. So I did my first internships in Asia, especially in Thailand, working with many different nationalities, including Australian, Americans, Scottish and everything. And then I had the chance to join Intrepid basically many, many years later on. But when I did this study in 2009, I've done that study on the um, English speaking markets, on the adventure travel segment. And obviously I did identify and target Intrepid. And then 10 years later, in 2018, I had the chance, I was lucky enough to join Intrepid for uh, a year and a half. How did you deal with the Australian accent to start with? Was it hard for you? Maybe in, in the beginning. So the very first Australian company I worked for was actually before, in 2014-15, back in the time I was based out of Thailand, Bangkok working for a local DMC, a pretty good and famous DMC called Exo Travel. They are pretty big, on maybe located in 10 countries. And then I identified a very interesting opportunity for an Australian company based out of Sydney, 
So a Cine-based company specializing in educational travel, you know, youth travel. And I think now when I think about that, there is a strong link between this step, this major step in my career path and what I'm doing now for the youth, for the new generation on the French market. So the Australian accent, I think in the end I was, I was okay. I was doing okay. And obviously, so the, the, the year before when I was working in Bangkok for Exo Travel, for almost three years, actually, my line manager was uh, from Australia. You know, he used to work for Lonely Planet before. Uh, he was originated from Melbourne. So I had a couple of years, you know, to, to listen to, to practice my English as well. So when then I joined different Australian companies, I think I, I was feeling quite ready. So in the end, in terms of accents, I think the most difficult one I had to cope with was uh, actually that line, uh, American line manager from, from California. Maybe that was a little bit specific, but his accent was quite difficult to me. That's really interesting you say that. And I know Australia has a lot of really special, unique expressions. So yes. I lived there as well and picked up some of these expressions. And some things, when you first hear them, they don't make sense. And then, of course, they explain them to you. But it's interesting that you said that the American accent was hard for you because normally people will hear television and movies in American English. Sure. And I think you're probably the first person that I've ever heard say that the American was the hardest, although I've lived in New Zealand as well. And I remember being in a grocery store in New Zealand and I was speaking to the, the cashier. She could not understand a word I was saying. <laughs> and I thought I, I was speaking because American English is, is very flat. It's, it's almost a very neutral accent. And yes, the yes. Kiwis have, it's like Australian, but so they have their own particular pronunciations on some things. And I found her accent hard to understand, but she couldn't understand mine. And it's so funny because really when you talk about it, it the accents aren't that far apart. So it's it's interesting. Sure. But, but to be honest, that was the only case. I think that was something very, very specific. He was kind of mumbling. I think that's the way we say. So it was a little bit hard for me, maybe a little bit because of the stress, because it was a very new job and everything. But no, on, in, in general, I don't have any issue with the American accent, only with this specific line manager, to be honest. We'll continue our interview in just a moment. The World Food Travel Association is the world's leading authority on food and beverage tourism. Founded in 2001, each year we serve a community of more than 150,000 professionals in 150 countries. Thinking about a career change or looking to improve your current skills? Consider our bespoke training and certification programs in culinary tourist guiding, culinary tour operations, restaurant and food service, and culinary destination marketing. Visit academy.worldfoodtravel.org to learn more and get started. I noticed you seem quite committed to the youth, which is, is great to see. Where did that come from? Because not a lot of people in their careers will make a special effort to meet the needs of younger people. I think in the end, it came in two major steps, I think. Obviously, the first one was, uh, again, in 2020, because of, of COVID and, you know, all the disaster around international tourism. I This is when I actually lost a, a very interesting consulting contract with an Australian startup. So that was actually my third Australian company that uh, I was working for based out of Melbourne. I was obviously working remotely and COVID obviously made it all uh, collapsed. I had a, a six month contract in, in the first place and then due to COVID, uh, I lost it. 
So I had a couple of months to think about, you know, the upcoming, I mean, the, the, the next steps, actually what I wanted to do, which, you know, what type of projects I wanted to focus on. And um, I know that in the past, when I was working abroad or for interesting companies, some major tourism schools in France did contact me. Uh, for example, the one in La Rochelle, the, the university, uh, that's actually a private school, Excelia Group. They actually wanted me to come over and do some master classes and course for students. The thing is, between, let's say, 2010 and 2020, I was quite busy traveling uh, most of the time, traveling abroad or being based uh, abroad, especially five years in Asia. So I think that was not maybe the right time for that. And due to the time that I actually gained because of COVID in 2020 for maybe six months, this is when I started to work on actually what I call master classes or courses for up to two days that I started to present to uh, universities and tourism schools in France, private schools. And those master classes were uh, obviously around my main areas of expertise, which are product development, sourcing strategies. I used to be a head of sourcing for Evanios, a very interesting marketplace in Europe, but also the Australian one. So sourcing product strategies, adventure and sustainable travel. Uh, and also to get more understanding and more expertise around sustainable tourism, because I knew that I wanted to share my experience and share my passion with the, new, the youth, with the new generation. In November 2020, I decided to go for, you know, the um, GSTC certification. It was actually a four-week training program. And obviously, after one month, I got certified, something I could use in a way and, and communicate via LinkedIn, for example. But the main thing was for me to get more understanding, especially on the, on the environmental cause, because I'm quite comfortable with social, the social axis. Uh, in terms of sustainability. That's what I've been I've done in 2020. Um, and now I've been doing these type of exercises, this type of, you know, cases, master classes, but also a challenge on uh, responsible travel, something I've been running for almost four years now. And one now I step back a little bit, I think about this four year process. I remember that what I talked about earlier in 20, uh, sorry, 2014, 15, when I joined and worked for this Australian company focusing on youth travel, educational travel, this is where in terms of values, I see a real link. And so in terms of first step, like the very first step, when I think I started to have this in mind, youth and educational travel of way of traveling was actually for this company. It was a kind of family business around educational travel, um, something I'm sure you're very, very familiar with. It's not so common on the French market because on, in France, when we talk about educational travel, we talk more about, we see more cultural trip, you know, classic trip for schools. For the, what I call Anglo-Saxons, like Australians, Americans, youth and educational travel to me is more related to adventure getting out of your comfort zone, understanding the world. And the, the main product that uh, I was working on and, and selling, basically selling and developing was what we call school community trips. 
school expeditions. And that's something I've kept in mind and, uh, you know, some main elements that I'm actually factoring in my challenge, my current challenge and pitch to the new generation, that there was one part that was getting, again, uh, out of your comfort zone in terms of um, physical activities, trekking, hiking. The second main component was actually um, like exploring the destination on your own, you know, being independent and exploring the destination. And the third main element that is very close to, you know, my main passion is what we call community trips, you know, community-based tourism. So I had spent an amazing year in 2014-15 based out of Thailand, working for this Australian company, but being French. So I was like a French person being expat from an Australian company in Thailand, Asia. So it was quite amazing. And for about 14, 15 months, I had traveled across many countries in Asia, sourcing community trips, you know, with local grassroots organizations and DMCs. That was one of my best, you know, moments in my career. Wow. So is that what, or what you are calling the new Explorer Challenge? Is that the name you gave it? Yes, yes, that's the current national contest in France. Is there a, a website for that or a place someone can go to get more information? Definitely. There is a website that is in French for now, so newexplorerchallenge.com, only on in French for, for the time being. But on LinkedIn, you can find uh, the New Explorer Challenge LinkedIn page. Everything is mentioned in English. Would you say that you're at a point yet in your career where you've been able to reflect back on what you've done and, and would you have any advice for yourself as, as a younger version of you? Yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm you said before, still, uh, still young, 30, 37, 38 in a couple of months. But definitely, I've got the passion. I still have the passion. And I think the, my main and, and key motivation driver has been being passion since the beginning. Um, I usually don't have any anything that I regret. I don't have any regrets. But something that I may be missing today is like my Spanish. It's it's a very simple uh, regret that I've I had because I stopped learning Spanish, I think 16, 17 years ago. And I think if you want to have like a an amazing and very enriching international career, you need to to practice and to master at least three languages. So I've got French and English, of course. Uh, Spanish, I've got the basics from long time back. It wouldn't be so hard, I think, to pick up Spanish. But um, I think maybe one of the the advice that I would I would give to my younger <laughs> uh, version of myself. Um, and the other thing would be maybe to be able or to dare more when I was younger. I think the main change that has occurred uh, in my life, both personal and professional, is the self-confidence. Definitely, this is the self-confidence. And I think 90% of my self-confidence came from traveling and my career in, in the travel industry. When I look back, when I was like 20, 22, I was someone very, very shy, not confident at all. And when I discovered traveling, especially with this three-month internship, you know, immersive internship in Laos, that's changed everything. So I think it would be about daring and also uh, having developing this entrepreneurship spirit, which I have now. I, I started to develop this part three years ago, maybe due or thanks to COVID in a way. 
So yeah, daring and and uh, I think that's the main part. I have never really thought of or really heard of anyone looking at travel as a way to gain confidence. And I I really I'd like to talk about that some more because I've always said that travel is the best education. I think that people tend to be sometimes narrow minded. We don't see what's next to us. We don't want to see and we stay in our own comfort zone. And I think when we travel, we get outside that comfort zone. But what do you think it was about travel that gave you more confidence than, say, just staying in France and continuing with your career there? I think, in a way, I had to find um, maybe a sense of my life. Obviously, there is a lot of you know uh, crossover. I think this is the way we say crossover between my personal and, and professional life. But yeah, more more than traveling. Obviously, it's all about travel in my in my passion in my in my life. But more than traveling, I think it was to find my place, maybe generally in the society, thanks to my professional career. That's something very, very, maybe unique, but very, very true. I'm developing and finding my, 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 my job and my, I think, match my career path with my passion was something very important to me. So being able to develop relationships abroad, uh, understanding new cultures, obviously discovering the world, and also being able to evolve in my career path, you know, from a, I had the chance to be a product manager pretty young in France. We usually say that such a role as a product manager role, this is something you have to wait for many, many years. This is even teachers at school that they say that uh, in the universities as well. And usually when someone tells me that something is complicated or you have to be patient, I'm not very patient. So I try my best you know, to reach my objectives as fast as possible. So I think the evolution in my career path was something important to me and also improving English as well. You know, when I used to work for Exotissimo, Exotravel in Asia for about three years, as I said before, uh, I remember another challenge that I was facing or at least, you know, the head management for from the DMC uh, were telling when I was working there, I remember there was a shift from the French market as the major uh, source market for the company to English speaking markets with the UK one, the UK market as the top priority. And I remember that I was like maybe 26, 27 years old, so pretty young. I started to manage people. I had a team of 10 to 12 type people back in the time. So a huge challenge for me being young. That's another story maybe for later. But I remember that I, I really wanted to evolve, you know, to grow with the company. And back then, uh, usually they say that you have limited opportunities for French people because you need to speak and you need to, I mean, people in general in the company, you need to master English, understand English speaking, English native speakers and everything to be able to access to certain positions in the company, to certain jobs. So I was a little bit frustrated back in the time. So <laughs> I continued and I, I worked very hard on my scope, which was actually leading the travel agency in Bangkok for the, the expat community with French, uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, people based, based in Thailand. And then maybe some of this frustration came to a point where uh, I decided to move. And this is actually when I, I joined my first Australian company. So I think it was quite funny in a way. In many ways, you've had the same realization that I did, that travel is the best education. You just applied it differently. And I think more 
young people really need to have the opportunity to go overseas, either to live. Going overseas for a vacation or a holiday isn't enough. Yes. If you're with family and you're with friends, that doesn't do it. You need to, to live overseas. You need to go to school, make friends in that culture, start to learn the language, get to know the food, the humor, and so on. And then your eyes will open. You'll, you'll wake up one day and it's like the light bulb goes off and you, you understand finally that, well, not everyone speaks your, your language and, and that's okay. And they do things differently here and that's okay. And it just, it opens up a, a world of possibilities when you realize that. Yes, definitely. Now, one thing I'd like to ask you about, you were saying that you're not really into food tourism, but you are very into sustainability. So I'd like to ask you a question because we have always said that 100% of travelers eat and drink. And from our perspective, food and, and beverage really should be the, the foundation of, of tourism because everyone eats and drinks. And of course, when someone is traveling, you want them to experience the local food. You want them to buy locally, to go to a restaurant that sources locally. When I travel, I don't want to, to go to Starbucks or McDonald's. I want to look for local businesses. I'm not going to go to a multinational corporation. And then that's good because the money stays in the local community. It also helps to develop worker skills, enhanced worker training opportunities as well. So from our perspective, food and sustainability are, are very, very tightly integrated. How is it from your perspective? I 100% agree with you. I think, yes, there is a strong uh, relationship and, and link between food travel and sustainability. I do agree. I do share this, this vision. Basically, I've been traveling and, yes, eating, exploring culinary dishes and everything from different parts of the world. That's something very important to me as well, both from a professional and personal perspectives. Again, I started to have a little bit more understanding and expertise in responsible and yeah, sustainable travel after COVID when I did this GSTC and I started to have some missions related to sustainable travel. Could be on one side with the new generation, sharing my knowledge and, and passion. And on the, on the other hand, in 2021, I started also consulting missions. I had actually one major mission in, in that time for almost 12 months, a year, helping a mainstream tour operator called Kappa Club. It's basically hotel clubs located in different parts of the world. And I had different responsibilities, but one of them was to deploy and to respect the eight responsible travel commitments from the company with the hoteliers, you know, with the local hotel chain sometimes. At some point, we had we were working also with local, uh, uh, locally managed hoteliers. But food production was obviously, and consumption was something very important. I remember myself traveling to some big hotel chain in, in Morocco, for example, or Portugal, where, you know, there was this, how do you say, um, um, not rule, but uh, I, I don't have the word in English, but all you can eat, you know, in the hotel for both breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it was in a year uh, after COVID where in many countries around the world, there were much less international tourists, for example, in Morocco. And we had a much bigger percentage of domestic travelers. And something that was very shocking to me, like a, something very hard to, to witness on the spot, was all those local families in Morocco or other countries where they were 
wasting so much food. And that's something I think I was very, very shocked about that while uh, doing this uh, this mission. So obviously, this is very important to me. And uh, one of them, uh, in French, we say circuit court, you know, making sure that the, the hotel that we work with, we partner with, they are also uh, working with local producers and close close to the location, close to the hotel. So there are many, many, obviously, aspects to, to, to look at. But uh, these are some of the areas that I was uh, yeah, following back in the time. I just, it's amazing how much you've accomplished in, in your 37 years. Do you have a, a quote that, that you're known for already? Yes, I've got the French version, but I think I can, I can also definitely translate. That's something I've, uh, I've come across a couple of years ago when doing, while doing some research on, on the Internet. And that also explains a lot about my philosophy and, and, and spirit. In English, that would be that's something coming from Vanuatu Island in the Pacific. In English, it would be every man is torn between two needs, two main needs, uh, the need of the tree and the need of the pirogue. In French, we'd say tiraillé entre l'arbre et la pirogue. So like torn, and I'm myself torn between the tree and the pirogue. What is pirogue? A pirogue is like a, a canoe, a canoe, like a boat, a small boat. Torn between a tree and a canoe. Okay. Yeah, a canoe. Can you explain that for us a little bit more? Yes. Obviously, that explains a lot about my my life, my my personal also values, and the way I actually see life. So the need of the tree is basically your family, your roots, and that's something also that I think that explains a lot about my younger age and all the the, the evolutions that I've come through, that I've gone through during my life. So this is about finding your personality, finding your what is giving you happiness in life, your roots. And I actually realized that I, to be more happy in life, to be more maybe to, to have more responsibilities, I needed to be a dad. So that's something very important to me as well in my life. And I had my first daughter almost 10 years ago, again in Bangkok, Thailand. That's something that changed a lot, almost everything in my life, obviously. So this is all about the tree, the, the family, the roots, and developing your, your own personality. And on the other hand, this is what we call the canoe. So the pyrog, the, the, the canoe. And this is all about discovery, exploration, and independence. I've been traveling from one to another for many years, not being sure about uh, which part I should prioritize, Maybe in a way, I didn't, when I sorry uh, found out uh, found out about this, um, you said uh, quote in a way. Yeah, when I found out about this quote, I realized that you can actually have a good balance between the two, between the tree and the pyrogue. So spending a lot of time with the family uh, while developing your career and exploring the world. So let me summarize here. Uh, what I'm hearing is that the tree is obviously the the raw ingredient. It's where the wood comes from to, to make the canoe, right? And you're torn between nurturing the tree, letting the tree grow, your the roots of the tree, which you were calling your family, and then the need to, at some point in your life, actually build a canoe, to go somewhere, do something to develop that further. And so there's a dichotomy between the need to show respect to your background and what made you, you, and then also where you need to go in your life and career. This is absolutely true. I actually realized that, you know, the final conclusion of this quote 
is that you don't have to make a choice between the two. You need, obviously, the tree to build the canoe. So this is exactly what you, you just said. That was complex, but I got there in the end. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. In your time managing people and working in different countries and for different companies, have you come across anything that just really drove you crazy? In English, we would call it a pet peeve, something that just really annoys you. When you mentioned about managing people, yes, I got something in mind. So when I moved to Bangkok the second time, so in 2012, after being a, a product manager for Thomas Cook in Paris, I moved to Bangkok and I joined this DMC, this regional DMC in Southeast Asia. And um, I was pretty young, almost 26 years old, when I started to have like a, a pretty big team to manage. 90% of them were Thai people. I, got, I had a couple of international expats as well, or, or interns, but mostly I had to manage Thai people. A very, very big point of frustration back in the time was that uh, it was very hard to get the respect um, due to my age. You know, most of the people, most of the Thai people that I was actually managing were about 10 to 15 years older than me. And we know that one of the, the big struggles that we can have managing people in Asia, and especially in Thailand, is that at some point you get the trust and you get the respect if you are, if you are older or, you know, if you have the same age or you have to show, you have to double show your expertise. So it's been quite hard. I was also in a very specific and difficult, I think, context because the, um, before I, I joined the company, this specific team was not very happy with uh, with the environment. So it was a, a very big challenge for me. And um, yeah, so that was probably one of my biggest challenges and struggles in my career path, you know, for 15 years managing this, uh, these, these type people. And after a couple of months, I think say 60 or 70% of them decided to leave the company. But again, they, I think what I realized also is that they were not happy. This came from maybe a year or two years before. Yeah. A couple of people, a, co a couple of staff actually left the company, which was something uh, not easy to, to get and to understand in the first place. But in the end, I was able to uh, recruit and to you know put my touch in terms of re recruitment, training, and managing the team. And after one year, everything changed. We had a very very happy, satisfied team in, in place, and we were actually reaching our all our KPIs. So it came from a, a very big challenge to uh, to a success in a way. Do you think that there was some cross cultural challenges going on? Possibly. You know, it's interesting. I mean, we, we talk a lot about respecting other cultures and trying to preserve your own culture and, and helping them to nurture and to thrive. But then at the same time, you're running an international organization or company. There's certain precedents that need to be upheld. There's certain behaviors that, that need to take place, I think, in order to, to get ahead. And I think we see the same thing in the EU. You look at Portugal, Spain, Italy, and Greece, and they behave very differently from the rest of Europe. And I live in Spain. Sometimes I wonder, is Spain really part of the EU just because <laughs> things are done so differently? And I think maybe it was the same kind of situation in Thailand where you were coming at it from either a European perspective or the corporate Australian perspective. And there was just something wasn't really meshing. But it sounds like you got there in the end. Maybe the 60% the of the people that ended up leaving 
were not the right ones. And then the new people that came in were the people who could embrace change and, and flexibility. Definitely, definitely. So I think that's uh, the main part of the, of, the, of the situation there. But also, I think it's quite obvious, but that was 12 years ago, and I was obviously much younger. So I'm very sure that if this would happen today, I would behave in a very, very different way as well. Well, we need to start wrapping up, but is there any advice that you'd like to, to offer younger people, uh, perhaps? I know, I know you work a lot with younger people, but our audience is, is people who work in, in food tourism, gastronomy tourism. They might be working for a restaurant. They might be working as a tourist guide or for a tour operator. They might work in a hotel. What advice might you be able to give to our segment of, of younger people who might be listening to our podcast today? Maybe one of the main advice that I would give is related to what we've uh, talked about before, you know, about daring, daring, building your, your self-confidence while something, yeah, something that is very important. I, I started to do it um, the first years in Thailand, but you build your uh, network. It can be your international network or your national network, but yeah, building up your professional network is very important. Today, we have the chance to have an amazing platform like LinkedIn. I'm also doing some masterclasses on how to connect and how to develop your network on LinkedIn. For those who want to have like um, more a, a an independent career, you know, working on your own, developing your own activities, there is something also quite important. It's also it's sometimes it's a little bit tricky and 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 challenging in France with uh, you know building your own personal visibility and and personal branding in a way. You know, in France, and that's also very, very cultural. And something that annoys me as well in France is that working on your personal branding is not always a good point, a, a good thing in France. Something that I, I mean, I didn't have any issue speaking about that with people from, you know, English speaking countries again. So yeah, all about building your network, your, your self-confidence and something also very important that I, I went through during my career path is building your resilience. We know that tourism is, is, is a very specific industry. Uh, you need to have a lot of patience and patience, passion and patience, both. Uh, but also it's very critical and very important to build your resilience because, you know, you might be working for with a destination or a region that you are passionate about. And, you know, you, you may face, say, like health disaster, health issues or natural disasters. So we know that working in the travel industry, in the tourism industry, you have to be resilient. It applies at all levels. So maybe that would be the number one advice is being strong and building your own resilience. I agree with you 100%. I think you have fantastic advice there. Is there anything that you would like to encourage our French listeners? Maybe something you'd like to tell them in French. Donc, j'ai effectivement parlé de beaucoup de choses, euh, de cette passion pour, pour le voyage et de cette nécessité de créer de la résilience, de développer sa résilience, que ce soit d'un point de vue personnel ou professionnel. On a pour habitude de, de, de dire que l'industrie du tourisme est effectivement très challenging complexe. En France, même dès l'école, on nous dit souvent que ce sont des, aussi des métiers qui ne rémunèrent pas bien, mais tout est possible. Je pense qu'il faut vraiment s'ouvrir, regarder un petit peu ce qui se passe aussi ailleurs, pas seulement en France, s'inspirer euh, des bonnes pratiques, que ce soit 
à tous les niveaux de votre domaine de passion, au niveau du tourisme durable, s'inspirer aussi des bonnes pratiques et des réussites aussi qui se passent à l'international. Et comme je disais aussi tout à l'heure, vraiment, dès le plus jeune âge, construire son réseau. Tout est possible. Je suis complètement d'accord. <rire> <rire> tout à fait. Parfait. Perfect. Well done. Well, Fred, thank you so much for your time today. I know how busy you are. Really appreciate your sharing your, your knowledge and your insight, especially with our younger listeners. Thank you again for, for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Eric. It's been a, a pleasure. That's it for this episode of the Eat Well, Travel Better podcast. This episode is brought to you by the World Food Travel Association and its training academy. We'd like to hear from you. We invite you to share your ideas, questions, and thoughts about the podcast by emailing us at help at worldfoodtravel.org. Or you can connect with us and comment about the episode on major social media platforms. Special thanks to our guest, Fred Lise, and our sincere thanks to you for joining us. I'm Eric Wolf, wishing you a safe, happy, and productive month ahead.